0: <laughs> Good morning. A little fun there. Making a point that we're really talking about in this series that I'm starting today. Uh, as the video says, it's important to know your place and take your place in life. So we're starting this series today. And the series is going to highlight Jesus' very upside down uh, teaching and example. On how to approach your roles, your relationships, your responsibilities, his approach uh, is the path to personal satisfaction and joy. But it's it's very backward. It's counterintuitive. It's not it's not the way we normally think. So we're going to look at that. I was thinking back to award ceremonies when I was growing up, and I in my mind, I, you know, there are academic award ceremonies. Uh, There are sports banquets that that I've been a part of. And I thought back to the very first thing that was a competition where awards were handed out. The very first thing I can remember was elementary school. I went to Bryson Avenue Elementary School in Southgate, California. It's about 20 miles west of here. And Southgate's flower is the azalea. You you may not care anything about all this, but I'm reminiscing, (laughs) and I apologize for that. But Southgate's flower is the azalea. So we had an azalea festival every year, and they would have a competition at school. Now, you may not think I would get into this, but you made a flower arrangement, and you took it in, and you entered it into the competition, and you were given a ribbon, you know, blue or whatever color. Blue was best. So um, I, I wanted the blue one. But I remember going back into the auditorium where all the things were laid out that people had put together. I was pretty sure mine was going to win when I brought it in. And I remember going back in and watching everybody, you know, seeing who's ribbon. I, I get to the mind there's nothing on it. I wanted, I wanted to win. You know, there's something in us. We want the honors. I remember going to academic awards ceremonies and, you know, they go by grade. They go along by grade and they list, they list the awards. And I'm I'm waiting for my name gets to my grade. I'm waiting for my name. I want my name to be called. I may be hoping against hope, but I want my name to be mentioned, you know. And really, between junior high and graduate school, I was hoping against hope. I thought maybe maybe there's some kind of error in the thing. But at at, at the end of the year of sports banquet, same thing for me. You know, I wanted, they begin to hand out the, the awards, course, the big award is the MVP, Most Valuable Player Award, and I'm hoping, as as we're building to that, I'm hoping that the coaches have noticed what I knew, <laughs> that I had made a, an extremely significant contribution to the team the whole season, and I, I'm thinking it's the most valuable contribution, you know, and so the, the thing flows by, and okay, I... I I got the word a couple of times, and they're probably in the landfill off the 60 freeway right now, and really, does it, does it matter? But put us in any given situation, and if awards are being handed out, we want the honor, don't we? I do. I want the honor. There's something in me. Actually, there's something in all of us, the Bible says, that longs to be honored, and it's called in Hebrew, the word is halela, which means self-praise. And Ecclesiastes 9.3 says it's embedded in our hearts all the days of our life. It's there. And if we don't deal with that, if we don't channel that properly and keep it in check, it wrecks havoc in our lives, this desire to be honored. Now, I, I, I appreciate the Bible because as it tells stories about the people and the places, very real, very honest about who they were. For instance, the apostles or the disciples—very real people. You see their their warts and all. You know the good things about them, the bad things about them. And in in one, actually two different instances, James and John. I can relate to James and John because they started arguing with the rest of the disciples, the other ten. They started arguing with them about who's going to be the MVP in the kingdom, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, who's going to sit at the right hand of Jesus when he's on his throne, who's going to be the most important. I can relate to that. I, I, I might be in that skirmish. I used to read the Bible, and I used to think, well, what is their problem? You know, These people, don't they know? And now I realize that's, that's, it, that stuff's in my heart as well. And so this skirmish breaks out between uh, James and John and the other ten. Actually, one time his mother, their mother, James and John were brothers, their mother sort of encouraged this skirmish along, and James and John, they didn't need that much help. They were arguing at another time, and on two separate occasions, this happened, and Jesus said the same thing. He said the same thing both times, and whenever he says, when he repeats himself, he's repeating something that we need to listen to, and we need to get a handle on it, and we need to really let it soak into our hearts, because he said almost exactly the same thing on two different occasions. He repeated it in his teaching many more occasions. So it's like when you're trying to train children, you know, you, 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 when they need to get something, you say it over and over again. This is what Jesus is doing here. He, he's saying this because we need to get it. He made it crystal clear who would be the MVPs in his kingdom. And this is what he said in Matthew 20. Here's one of the places it's recorded. Matthew 20, 25 through 28. So Jesus got them together to settle things down. There'd been a skirmish. There'd been an argument going on. He heard them. It's like driving down the road and you hear the people in the back seat arguing. There'd been this argument going on. So he gets them together and he settles them down. And he said, you've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, how quickly a little power goes to their head. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That is what the Son of Man has done. He's talking about himself. This is what I've done. He came to serve, not to be served, and then to give his life away in exchange for the many who are held hostage. Amazing. It is very backward from our natural inclinations, what Jesus is saying here. All of us, we all have this reflex where we want to be honored, the normal part of being a human being, and it can be real trouble, however, in every part of our lives if we don't keep it in check. So during this series, what we're going to look at is, is how to live in a way that allows us to avoid the damage that can be done if we come from the wrong place in the way we approach our roles, our responsibilities, and our relationships. We're going to look at this in... Our household. The Bible in the New Testament, it talks about household. It's in a Greek word called oikos. It's the Greek word oikos, which means your circle of family, friends, work associates. How, how, do we, how does God want us to take our place in, in the, that arena? My place in the household. We're going to look at that. Um, my place in the bank. This next uh, The third week, we're going to look at our attitude toward our money and how that affects our lives because many times this tendency to want to exalt ourselves affects the way we approach our money because how many times have we thought i deserve this so i'm going to get out the credit card i may not be able to afford it but i deserve it so we get out the credit card we buy it and we end up in a lot of trouble in debt because of that it causes us to overspend in church life it's very easy to bring our native approach to things into church life. And we want the honor there as well. I, that's what James and John were doing. They were in a new situation. But, you know, wherever you go, there you are. And if this is in your heart, it shows up in church life. So we're going to look at how this applies to church life and how, how the Lord Jesus wants us to approach life in these different areas and how we can approach them with the right attitude from the right place mentally in a way that honors God, serves his purpose, and brings his blessing into our lives. To serve God's purpose for my life, I must know my place and take my place. That's the big idea for the whole series. And first of all, we're going to look at how I find my place by following Jesus' example. Philippians 2, 5 says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In every circumstance, every situation we face all day long, we choose an outlook toward it. We choose an attitude. Many times without giving it much thought, and maybe you felt attacked by certain attitudes at times, but at any rate, we choose the attitude we're going to end up with as we approach the people, the events, the situations and circumstances that we're dealing with, our money. Uh, the company we work for or other organizations we participate in, church. We, we choose the attitude. And this attitude that we choose is going to show up in our words and deeds. It's going to show up in what we say and do. And actually, it locates us. The attitude we choose sort of locates us in a position or a place and sends us off in a direction. I've, we traveled a lot in the month of June. And we'd be driving down the highway and as we were driving, maybe it was about sixty miles from the next town, and Cindy and Lindsay and I were traveling together and we'd we'd say, Hey, let's see if there's a McAllister's deli in this next town. And so you Google it on your phone and you're you know, you're you're hoping there is one if that's what you want. If you want some sweet tea, they have great sweet tea. And so we we'd be asking this, but you know what? On Google Maps, it has to locate you before it can tell you how to get to where you want to go. And if you don't have a strong enough signal to get located, then you aren't going to get directions on how to get there. It's the same in everyday life. The same the same thing works works out. We have to start from the right place mentally. We have to start with the right attitude or mental place in order to choose the the right words and actions that will accomplish the right purpose and move us toward the right kind of progress in life. We we choose these things. So it's very, very important. The passage that we're going to look at says that followers of Jesus should start from the same place Jesus did. In other words, we should choose the same attitude that Jesus chose. That's what it means to follow him. We, We do what... What he did. The passage says that, that followers should choose his mental position. That's what an attitude is. If you look it up in Webster's, there, there's five or six different definitions. Number three is an attitude is a mental position toward a, a state, a state of being, or a fact. So it's a place that you come from mentally. It's a, it's a mental position with which you approach life in which you approach whatever's in front of you. And so as a follower of Christ, I choose, I come from the same place he did in my mind. And the first thing that Philippians 2 says about his mental attitude, his attitude, his place that he came from, and therefore my place, if I'm going to follow him, is he took the very nature of a servant. Now many scholars suspect that verses 6 through 11 that we're going to look at this morning, Philippians 2, is a hymn. Which means that the the early church, the first churches would sing this over and over again because that's how important it is to remember. They would sing it so that they would remember these things, so that they would get them in their heart and mind, so they begin to show up in their words and deeds. So this would be sung over and over again in church and The scholars can tell this by the cadence of the writing in the Greek, but here's what it says in verse 6 and 7. It says, said before, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now notice that Jesus didn't just do servant things. He actually took on the very nature of a servant. He didn't just wear servant clothes or play the role of a servant sometimes. He viewed himself as a servant. This is the way he this is what he tells his followers to do to take on the very nature of a servant. There are two words that Jesus used. In his corrective instruction to the disciples when they were in that skirmish, James and John got it started, there were two words he used. One was servant, which is a word in Greek, diakoneo, that means to be an attendant or to wait on someone. Now, in, in slang, that would be a gopher. You go for this, you go for that. And in our world, people don't aspire to be gophers. Dude, I mean, I yeah, I'm going to be a gopher when I grow up. You know, no, it's, just not, it's just not what we're looking forward to. In our world, we want to have gophers. We don't want to be a gopher. We really don't. But Jesus tells us to take on the attitude of a servant, and that's the very heart of the meaning of the word. Now, choosing this this attitude, taking on the nature of a servant means this. It means whatever resources I have, Whatever position I have. Now, this may be a position in your family. It may be a position at work. It may be a place in the church. And it could be an important position with a lot of power. It could be a medium-sized position. It could be a low position. Whatever position I have, I use that to serve people. First of all, to serve God's purpose. I use whatever I have to serve God's purpose, and then I use it to serve the people that he puts around me. That's taking on the very nature of a servant. It doesn't mean that you lay down and let people run over you. What it means is you use your strength, your ability, the things that God has given you to serve the people around you. And as you do that, you honor God. Nothing is beneath me. It also means that if I'm a gopher, then nothing's beneath me. But I'm willing to do whatever it takes to serve the people around me. The second word Jesus used in his corrective instruction that I read before was the word for slave. And it says in Philippians 2, this is the word here. He took on the very nature of a slave, not just somebody who served for pay during the day or did a couple errands and then were paid for it, but. He took on the very nature of a slave. He did not hold on to his high position as God. He was number one. He is number one in the universe. He still was while he was on the earth. He didn't hold on to that position, but he emptied himself, it says. He emptied himself and took on the very nature of a servant. Now, what this means, it doesn't mean that Jesus was any less God when he walked on the earth. But what it means is that he set aside any divine characteristics and privileges that he would have as God that would keep him from becoming a man. So he set those aside and he, he limited, he voluntarily took on a, a body as a man and limited himself for you and I. He took on the very nature, he emptied himself, took on the very nature of a servant. He made himself a slave to the father and to the best interests of those who are in his path. Can you imagine what it was like for God to go to the market with with his mom and dad, you know, maybe eight or nine, and they're kind of ordering him around and he's like, Yeah, mom, sure, I'll do it. Yes, Dad, I'll, sure, I'll take care of that. And then people who don't appreciate maybe his, his ethnicity are starting to abuse him and treat him wrong. Can you imagine what that felt like to Jesus, who was God? He voluntarily took on the nature of a servant. And all of those things took place. He was, he was shoved aside. He was disregarded. He was disrespected. He was spoken down to. He found himself a child who needed to obey his parents. He found, found himself as a carpenter who needed to do right by the customers who may have been difficult to deal with. But he voluntarily took the nature of a human being and lived that life. He made himself a slave to the Father and to the best interests of those around him, and that's why he did that. And this is what he expects his followers to do as well, to take the very nature of a servant and... To humble ourselves. This is the second characteristic. It says, being found in appearance as a man, in verse 8, he humbled himself. And this is the way it's it's said in Scripture. You humble yourself. Now, we're going to find out also that things kick into place to humble you, but still, at the bottom line, you could go through the most horrendous things because you've exalted yourself. And still refuse to humble yourself. This is something that you and I have to do. This is something that Jesus did. He humbled himself. He chose this attitude. He decided on it. And it's an attitude of humility, which means that I consider others better than me. And I treat them this way. In the way that I approach my family life, in the way that I approach my work situations, the way that I approach church life here. I consider that others are better than me. Now they're not, because we're all equal before God. But I consider them to be better than me. Take ten chickens. Now I'm a city boy. I grew up. I grew up here in this area, and I'm not. I'm not a farmer kind of guy. But I, I read about this, so that's how I know. You take ten chickens. You put them in a cage. You put them in the pen together. They may not know each other, the chickens. Maybe they've never been around the other chickens before. You throw in a little chicken feed, and immediately there are skirmishes that are going to break out because what they're going to do is they're going to form a pecking order. They're going to, through these skirmishes, they're going to decide on a hierarchy of dominance, and there's going to be chicken number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, and so on and so on, and you want to fight. There's a lot at stake in these skirmishes because you don't want to be chicken number 10. You just don't because every other chicken can pick on you but you have no one to pick on. So you're always the one who gets picked on and you, you you so it's a very important skirmish. What Jesus did, he humbled himself and in circumstance after circumstance, the one who really had in reality the highest place, and position in the universe, took the lower position to serve. This is what he did. He, just didn't, he ignored the, the pecking order. He, he ignored the skirmishes. And he chose to take the lowest position with a heart to serve. He said it. Son of man came, not to be served, but to serve. He came to the earth to bless and to serve people. And so he didn't look down on people. He looked up to them. Whenever you look down on people, whoever it is, you start to bully them or you start to use them for your own goals and purposes. And Jesus, he's God. And he did not do that. He refused to do that, but he looked up at people and and he, he served them. When skirmishes break out in our life, related to the pecking order, they sidetrack the effort to accomplish God's goals in whatever it is, in family life, work, friendships, church life. If, if skirmishes break out like James and John, that skirmish broke out. If they break out, then they sidetrack us from, from the real goal of moving forward to accomplish what God wants done. They they sidetrack us from the real goal of serving the best interests of the people around us. And we've got to keep this in check. Jesus humbled himself, and he wants us to do the same and serve the people around us. Philippians 2 shows us that if we're going to adopt Jesus' attitude, we take the very nature of a servant, we humble ourselves, and we become obedient. Philippians 2.8 says, He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I just finished reading The Power of a Whisper by Bill Hybels, and this is what he said about this this passage. Best-selling books these days often tell rags-to-riches tales, but I contend that the greatest story history has ever known reflects the exact opposite chain of events. It's a riches-to-rags story, burial rags, that is. That's what Jesus has done. He became obedient even to death on a cross. Death by crucifixion is the most horrible and humiliating way to die. And he was willing to be obedient to God at great pains to himself. If I'm going to find my place as a follower of Christ in the way I approach my life, my number one concern in every situation I face is What is right before God? What does God want me to do? What does he want me to say? What would please him in this situation, in this circumstance? This means, what this is going to mean, that if we're going to do this, you and I, if we're going to do this, we have to die to ourselves because there are things we'd want to say and there are things we'd want to do. And there are native reflexes that are going to come out and we've got to set those aside and decide that we're going to do what God would want us to do. And we don't do that perfectly. Thankfully, God is a gracious God. Much of the time, obedience is extremely painful, uncomfortable, and inconvenient. The core question is, what will please God in this conversation, in this circumstance, as I carry out this responsibility, as I relate to the person right across the table from me, what can I say? What can I do that would please God? Jesus told in another instance with his disciples, I think he was teaching. The, the picture I get in this instance is he's teaching the disciples, and he gave them an attitude check for what we're talking about this morning. Uh, he told a story about a servant who was plowing in the field. The servant's been plowing out in the fields all day long, sun up to sundown sweaty, hot, been working on the farm, comes into the master's house. And he says, now, which one of you expects for the servant to come into the master's house and for the master to begin to serve the servant, the slave? Nobody expects that. What you expect is the servant shows up in the house and the master says, hey, I need dinner. I'd like some iced tea. You know. The servant's not going to, the roles aren't going to flip. And this is what he says. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. The master's not going to expect, he's going to expect the servant to cook dinner for him, clean the dishes afterwards, keep working. And this is the attitude check. If we feel entitled, if we begin to feel entitled, we get the thought that we deserve a certain amount of credit or admiration or appreciation for what we've done, which is very easy to do. We need to check our attitude. This is the attitude check. If we feel entitled, we haven't taken the very nature of a servant. And we need to back up and ask God to help us to do that. Lord, I need your help. This, this is the attitude. We need help for this. We need God's help. And we need to live this out because when I take my place, God gives the reward I've wanted all along. This is the pattern you see in Scripture. Matthew twenty three twelve. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus said this over and over again. It's a theme. It's not... The main theme, but it is a theme throughout the entire Bible. If you start paying attention, you're going to find this showing up in the way life works. You, you read about it in the newspapers. You see it on the news, on TV. You hear about the proud being humbled. Now, not, not often do we hear about the humble being exalted, but they get exalted. Humble people are exalted all the time. You will see this work out in all of the arenas of your life, in your household, at work, in church life. Those who try to exalt themselves and lift themselves themselves over other people are humbled, and the humble get exalted. Once we've decided to follow Christ, it's our duty to serve. We, we don't think about that these days very much. Duty. Duty first. I need to do my duty. I need to do what's expected of me. We tend to think, well, if I do that... What will I get out of it? Duty first, though, we do that. God honors the humble person who obeys him by serving the best interests of the people around him. And he is so gracious that as we do what he's asked us to do, he brings reward. He promises reward. And we may not get all the reward here, but we will be rewarded. Now, Jesus, in Jesus' life, he got got the ultimate reward. We won't get it quite like him. He's worthy of worship. But it says in verse 9 through 11, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This pattern, humbling yourself and being exalted, Worship is reserved for him. We'll never be worshiped, but we will be commended by the one we serve. We will be commended, and there will be a reward for it. Humble, obedient service to God and others is the path to meaning in life. It's the path to fulfillment and purpose. We don't normally think this way, but living for myself leaves me empty. When I empty myself for others, I am full. This is the way it works. The seeds of service that we plant will grow into deep friendships and family relationships. If we plant wisely, we will have a deep sense of accomplishment as we make real progress toward the right goals. When I die to myself, I become obedient even to death. And I serve, I discover what I've wanted all along. Deep personal satisfaction. We get a taste of the reward here on earth. We get the feast in heaven, but we get a taste in the personal satisfaction. So here's a theme for the, the message series. Knowing my place and taking my place is the way to serve God's purpose and find personal reward. We're going to look at how this works its way out in different arenas of our lives over the next several weeks, and I'd, I'd invite you to, enjoy, uh, to, to join us for the, the series. I want to wrap up this morning by giving you some next steps to think through. Uh, if you would, please take out your connection card that's in your program. Uh, there are some suggestions on the back of that card for next steps, and at the bottom of the listening guide that, that's in that program as well. In a moment, we're going to receive our offering. Uh, I'd like you, if you would, to please take this time to finish completing any information on the connection card or any of the next steps that you'd like to take. And then when the offering comes around, you can drop that card in the bucket. But here, here are some uh, next steps that I'm suggesting for you. And there may be some that you've thought of. First of all, memorize Matthew 23:12. That is such a pattern. It is such a bedrock principle that God has woven into life. We need to remember, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Something very important to remember. That that could be a step. Just memorize that to remind yourself. Then a, a second step, read Philippians 2, 1 through 11, and ask God to help you adopt Jesus' attitude. Now, it's interesting because the passage we read follows a comment Paul was writing to a church in Philippi, in that in Philippians two, and he's responding to a skirmish that had broken up, broken out between two ladies in the church, and that this whole thing that we've looked at is what he said. This is our attitude, not not to skirmish, not to fight over the pecking order, but but to lay down our life, to to choose the very nature of a servant. So you could read through that, read about the skirmish. Uh, read some really good counsel on how to approach uh, relationships and then soak that up and ask ask God for the help to adopt that attitude. And then the final step would be for the first time, I'm deciding to accept Jesus as my Savior and follow him as Lord. Maybe you've been investigating what it means to follow Christ and you're ready to make that decision today. Uh, we'd, we'd love to know about that and we'd love to help you with with that decision, and relationship as much as you'd like. If you're a first-time guest with us today, again, we're really glad you're here. And we have a gift for you out those double doors. And to the left, there are some books on a table. It's a book called The Case for Christ, which has some great answers to questions that people ask about Christianity and who Christ is. Uh, you can pick that book on your way out. And we'd, we hope you enjoy it, and we hope it's, it's helpful. Would you pray with me as the band comes up? Father, we thank you for the truth that we find in your word, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the help that you give us to live this out. God, I, I, I pray that you would, you would guide and that you would <clears throat> direct us, and that you would help us to make these hard choices to become obedient to you, that you might be honored, that your purpose might be served with our lives, and, and that people might be blessed and that we'd receive a blessing as well. We ask for your help in all this, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.